Episode 60, The Big Problem with Diagnostic Test Results. Today, I speak with Dr. Brian Gale from SaferMD. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Unfortunately, it is not uncommon for diagnostic tests to be performed and then period, full stop. And I say period, full stop because the tests are never reviewed by the clinician, they're never acted upon and or they never make it to the patient. Patients die because of this, patient stays are extended because of this, and hospitals get sued. Today I speak with Dr. Brian Gale from SaferMD. SaferMD has devised a way to help hospitals measure how well test results are getting to clinicians. And because what gets measured gets managed, this enables performance to improve. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Brian. Thank you, Stacey. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk about SaferMD. Could you just give us the top line? SaferMD is dedicated to reducing the incidence of missed test results. We want to make sure that diagnostic test results make it to the treating physician and the patients because all too often these notifications fall between the cracks and patients are injured all the time because they don't find out what their diagnosis is and they don't initiate the appropriate treatment. Could you give a couple of examples of exactly what you're, you're talking about? One of the examples was in today's New York Times in an op-ed column, which talked about a case in which a lady uh, who was a single mother of a learning disabled child went to an emergency room and had a chest x-ray that showed a lung nodule. The lung nodule was correctly identified, put into the report and put into the impression of the report, but no one read the report in the emergency room. And the patient was sent to clinic where she visited three times for asthma treatment, still nobody looked at the report. And it turned out that the patient had lung cancer and died about 15 months later. So that's the uh, the most recent publicity. Another example is a 12-year-old boy in New York City who went to an emergency room after he scraped his knee playing basketball but complained of stomach pains. The emergency room doctors drew a CBC, a complete blood count, but no one looked at the results. They discharged him with diagnosis of gastroenteritis, but it turned out that that CBC indicated an early infection, which eventually led to sepsis. He returned three days later, moribund, and it was too late. He was admitted to the ICU, but he died. Both of these cases and these outcomes were completely avoidable had the important test results been communicated to the right physicians at the right time. There's uh, other examples that come up in the newspapers all the time ladies who go for screening mammography, where the result, the abnormal result, is sent to the wrong doctor or filed before in the doctor's office before he or she reads them. And turns out there was an abnormality that was allowed to progress for a year because no one acted on it. All of these are avoidable with better communications of diagnostic test results. It seems like in both of those examples that the issue wasn't that the lab neglected to send the test, for example. It was the, the test was received. It's just that no one looked at it. Exactly right. And many organizations have policies around this. 
They're called critical values when they can cause imminent harm to the patient. And in those situations where there's an unexpected or urgent finding, it's expected that the diagnostic staff contact the clinician and speak directly to them about the result. Interesting. Now, how pervasive is this? I mean, those two examples that you gave are obviously horrifying that the right test was given but, you know, as you say, critical values were found, but completely not acted on. Is this common? You go to any hospital lab director or diagnostic service director, and they'll tell you of cases that were near misses in which, fortunately, there was no bad outcome or cases in which there was a bad outcome. There are lots of cases that happen every year and malpractice payments that include a component of communications failure account for between five and six billion dollars annually in the United States. Is this a radiology thing? Is it a blood test thing? Is it an all of the above thing? It's an all of the above. The statistics I just gave you cross all medical specialties. And that data is based on the database from Crico RMF at Harvard, but also the National Practitioner Data Bank data which is kept by the National Institutes of Health, HHS. And it's not that radiology is is worse. In fact, radiology is not the number one specialty. The number one specialties involved are internal medicine and, and emergency medicine. However, when there are more than one specialty involved, then radiology is more prominent. But it's not just about doctors. It's about systems. In the cases of labs, it's not necessarily a doctor who communicates the result. It could be a lab technologist. There are now systems available to automate these communications of important test results with what's called a closed loop to make sure that the important result was delivered. And one can monitor the status of these notifications to make sure that nothing falls between the cracks. I would definitely like to circle back to those closed loop systems. But before we go there, let me just ask you this question, my friend. SaferMD, you founded that organization how long ago? In 2007. 2007. So you've obviously been on the case for a while. How was it that you happened to recognize the magnitude, say, of this issue and feel like it's something that needs to get looked into so far ahead of what seems like the curve? I was at one of the hospitals that implemented one of the first electronic notification systems. It was not easy to sell, frankly, to the clinical staff. They uh, were concerned that we were going to send too many frivolous messages. We had to do it. We really had to twist some arms to get started. But once we got started, they wanted us to send more notifications. And so I started to do some research on how well these systems work. Looked at eight different hospitals with their experience from the beginning of implementation up to two years out. And we found that you could cut the delivery time by 50%. That is the delivery time of important test results. And there was a high degree of statistical significance. We published these findings in radiology management. Then while I was working on that project, I happened to talk to a malpractice underwriter who said, wow, you use a system like that, I'd give you a discount on your malpractice premiums. Then I realized that uh, there was an unmet need here. There was a malpractice industry, that insurance industry, that recognizes the magnitude of this. 
but they were concerned about conflict of interest. They didn't want self-reported statistics, so they were looking for an auditor, a vendor-neutral auditor who could give results that they could really count on and trust that would be free of conflict of interest. Then the next paper we worked on was to look actually at the how bad this problem is from a malpractice standpoint. That's the data I alluded to earlier from the National Practitioner Data Bank. We looked at data over about 10 years and the data from Crico RMF, uh, which looks at their member hospitals and clinicians. That's where we came up with the five to six billion dollar figure annually, which seems to be going up as a proportion of malpractice lawsuits and payments. Safer MD, you are a third party checker of how well the lab results or, or radiology results are being transmitted and communicated. That's right. We are vendor neutral. We have no financial relationship either to the notification companies or to the insurance companies. Just like a tax auditor, we have to stay clean. Our value is in our integrity, and we do help some hospitals set up their systems to optimize their work, but then we monitor it, and we're sort of like central station monitoring. Just like if you have a smoke detector in your home, you could put up a 9-volt smoke detector, but how does your insurance company know if you put in the battery? But if you have central station monitoring, then they know it's working. So. The analogy is someone could buy one of these notification systems, but the insurance companies want to make sure that they're getting used. And that's where we come in. We're the central station monitoring for test result notifications. And because you are this respected third party, what you're also doing is increasing the financial value of those internal notification systems to the hospital systems that deploy them because part of the costs are significant. You know, I don't know exactly how much of the cost could be offset by the discounts for malpractice as well as better patient outcomes. I mean, heck, I, I can imagine that. I'm not sure if you have any statistics on this, but I, I can only imagine how patient outcomes are damaged by lab results failing to get where they need to be. You don't have to imagine. There are the examples I gave you earlier, but also you can think about any diagnosis that has a time value. Uh, for example, if a child has meningitis, the longer the child waits for treatment after such a diagnosis, you know, the more damage is done. So it's really important to start treatment, the right treatment, as quickly as possible. There are other diagnoses that are important, perhaps not urgent, but you don't want to let them go, like for example, breast cancer. Frankly, it's those types of non-urgent but important findings that are the most damaging when they're missed because they're not at a, a, an acute emergency that's going to hurt the patient in the next few minutes. So no one's jumping up and down right now. But because they're less urgent, those are the ones that tend to fall between the cracks. That's what, that's where you have patients who find out a year later that they had an abnormal screening mammogram that should have been acted on last year and now may have an advancing carcinoma. And I can also see why that is grounds for malpractice. You know, why the malpractice insurers are heavily involved in that, because there you go in black and white on a piece of paper. It's pretty right. evident something was missed. Right. Well, and it's but most importantly, it is patient safety. There are other financial implications to this besides malpractice, which may be even larger. You know, for a hospital, the sooner they start treating a patient, 
the shorter the hospital stay. And if hospitals can reduce the average length of stay, that can be worth millions to them every year. Another aspect of this is compliance with CMS Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, the way the feds look at it, if someone orders a test and no one's looking at the results uh, and they're, and the feds are paying for it, they consider that fraud. And those are big penalties that can be paid. And so having, having a management report where you can show everything you've done to make sure people pick up those notifications can protect hospitals and other types of facilities against these federal penalties. Wow. Medicare fraud, huh? Yeah. Our reports aren't just used by malpractice insurers. They're used by managers in hospitals. They can see who's doing a good job communicating results and who's not, who's picking up their notifications, who's not, who's picking up within hospital-defined compliance intervals, and who's not. So they could manage by exception and say, Dr. Smith, how come you're not picking up these results? Don't you realize that you're putting your patients at risk as well as the hospital? So the reports that you deliver, could you talk a little bit about those? You know, say I'm a hospital and I receive a SaferMD report. What's on that report and how does it help me avoid these awful repercussions that you have mentioned? What we do is we offer a, a compa- basically a performance comparison between the diagnostic staff as well as the clinical staff within the hospital. and as our database grows across institutions. So for example, how many urgent notifications should a neuroradiologist send? Well, we can compare the performance within the group within the hospital, but eventually we'll be comparing across hospitals and say, you know, what is the average for a neuroradiologist in an urban teaching hospital? And how does, what percentile is this doctor compared to his or her colleagues? And then on the receiving side, how quickly are people picking up their notifications in comparison to their peers, both within their hospital and at other hospitals? And so that lets, again, the managers manage by exception and look at the, the worst performers and bring them into compliance and show them how they're doing in comparison to their peers. Doctors and healthcare providers are pretty competitive people, and no one wants to be at the bottom of the list. But let me ask you a question. So it seemed like in some of the examples that you gave, the question wasn't necessarily that the report hadn't been transmitted. It's that no one read it or right. or understood what the ramification was. So how do you kind of separate, you know, so say I'm Dr. Smith, or am I mm-hmm. asking an unfair question? You know, say I'm Dr. Smith, I pick up the report, I glance at it, and I file it. Mm-hmm. But I never really read it. That, of course, is the point. And so the main problem is not that people are looking at reports and not acting on them. Generally, the problem is that it's not being communicated. And the biggest category of communications failure is actually between doctors and patients. But yes, if you were to pick up a report, glance at it, and file it, not act on it, it would be just as bad as not reading it. How do you, if you can, realize that is what you're checking that the provider hasn't acted on the report? Not simply picked it up. Well, we're not up to our technology is not up to that level yet, but we are heading there one of these days where we'll be be able to link the receipt of the report to action taken. At the moment, we but what we can do now is at least time their receipt, and by receipt, it's usually an active receipt. They're clicking an accept button or 
in another in any or for example reading back their understanding of the results they're doing things that indicate that they have actively received and digested the report as as opposed to just received it electronically is it these are, for example when these notifications come to your smartphone uh, you look at the results and then you click accept and if you don't click accept the system will bug you again and make you look at the report until you do accept it I definitely want to get to something that you just alluded to a second ago, which is one of the big issues is physicians communicating with patients about the the test results. Before mm -hmm. we go there, though, it might make sense to circle back to what you had said at the very top of the our, our conversation about these closed loop systems to make sure that you know that, that nothing slips through the cracks. Do you want to just talk just for for those of us who are not providers and are not familiar with how providers tend to get test results? How do these closed loop systems work? You know, how do if if I'm a hospital system, what do I tend to purchase to get the test results from the you know the lab or the or the radiology mm -hmm. over to the practicing uh, clinicians? Well, this has evolved over time as we've gone to electronic medical records. So when in the days of paper charts, results from lab, for example, or radiology or pathology would be printed out on paper and put into the patient's chart. And clinicians were responsible for reviewing the charts and making sure that they saw all those results. Now that we have electronic health records, the data are available when you log into the patient's electronic chart. There are systems that will deliver new results to the doctor when they whenever they log into the electronic health record but beginning in around 2005 6 a new type of system that was much more active came onto the market called critical test result management and those systems would enable the hospital or healthcare organization to register all of the clinicians with uh, and customize their account to determine how they wanted to be contacted with important results. Do you want to get a page? Would you like to get a secure text, a fax, or an email? And what would then happen was any time a diagnostic staff would see an important result and say, oh, I need to get this into the hands of the clinician, you would activate the system, then move on to your next case. But what the system would do was contact the clinician in exactly the way that they want to be contacted, which is probably the most effective, and depending on the urgency of the finding, call them again until they until they acknowledge receipt. There are also escalations to backup clinicians if the first clinician is not available. You could have multiple tracks, as we did, between the house staff, the residents, and the faculty, the attendings. And so two cascading, escalating sets of messages will go out repeating until someone acknowledges receipt and or escalating to a backup physician until a receipt is acknowledged. We found this to be quite effective for panic value notifications. We were able to get confirmation of receipt within five minutes about 95% of the time, whereas before we were having trouble reaching people at all. It was so, pretty powerful. Yeah, it would seem like that would largely address this issue. And do you feel like the hospital that you were with, the hospital system that you were with was well ahead of the curve or that this is something yes, that... Yes, we were one of the first 10 to implement, as a matter of fact. <laughs> there you go. So I, I think we were well ahead of the curve. There is still only a minority of hospitals that use such systems, but they are becoming more popular. The problem with them is that you need to 
get buy-in from the medical staff before you implement and have solid support from hospital administration with policies and procedures that support the system so that by the time you start using it, people recognize why they're getting these notifications and you don't have clinicians saying, well, I'm not picking up these messages. I'm not participating. They understand they have to participate. What's the barrier there? I mean, you've kind of alluded to the idea that clinicians are instinctively opposed to this kind of thing several times. Why? Because of message fatigue. There are too many times people use automated methods of contacting clinicians, either pop-ups in the electronic health record or automatic messages sent on multiple different modalities that are generated by machines. The clinicians recognize that there are some notifications that are important and some that are not because they already know about it. Take, for example, a nephrologist. A nephrologist sees dialysis patients who have abnormal potassiums their kidney, because their kidneys are not functioning that well. So while they're in the hospital, they're getting tons of abnormal potassiums, but the nephrologist doesn't necessarily need to know about all of them. They, if these messages are sent automatically, they're going to start ignoring them. The difference between that and the CTRM systems is that in this case, the notifications are being sent by a person who's looking at the context of the patient's background and prior labs and saying, oh, this is important result I need to get to the clinician. This other result they already know about, so I don't have to tell them about it. So it has a lot more credibility. But at all costs, we have to avoid spurious notifications that people are going to just start to ignore because they're getting all sorts of communications all day. They're only going to pay attention to the ones that they know are important. Yeah, there's definitely a balance there. And it sounds like what's happening is that if clinicians are starting to hear, we're going to send you alerts and are feeling like alerts are all one big you know, one of a kind, as opposed to understanding that there are different kinds of alerts. And that's right. And that explains the kind of resistance that we had when we first implemented a system. We really got no takers until finally medicine and surgery agreed to uh, work on a pilot project where we could send only panic value messages. And so we did. Within two weeks, the chief of medicine was saying, well, how come you didn't send me this one? How come you didn't send me that one? And we said, because you only wanted the panic value messages. And so then we opened it up to all the categories and they were really very satisfied with the system and gave us a lot of positive feedback. But that was their exactly their concern is they didn't want to be inundated with useless messages. What they realized once we started the pilot was that these were not useless messages. They were very important messages and they were getting them delivered. They didn't have to log into the electronic health record to look up all their lab results. The really important results were being delivered to them because someone on the other end was looking at this result in the context of the patient's visit and saying, oh, this is really important. I have to get this to Dr. Smith. It's almost like there needs to be two names for those two very different things. I mean, on on one hand, you've got a machine-generated alert. And on the other hand, what you've got is almost, it's, it's I suppose it's still an alert in the broadest sense, but in another sense, it's actually a communication. It's one person speaking to another. Right. It's an asynchronous communication, but it is human generated. Just like email, for example, well, we have obviously spam, but when maybe texts are a better example, people send texts to each other, but they don't have to be on the phone at the same time. Nonetheless, the text is generated by a person, not usually a machine. (laughs) 
Just thinking about your own kind of personal entrepreneurial journey here, you saw what happened in your own hospital, how important and how much of a difference having an alert system like this might make or a communication system, if you will. And then you developed, you decided to to work on SaferMD to track the progress of that. Mm-hmm. And, and other hospitals who and really improve the increase the value and the ability of the hospitals that are using systems like this to really prove out how important it is. Well, to help them also achieve better patient safety, to avoid miscommunications, and to improve their financial outcomes. So it's kind of a triple win. It's good yeah. for patients, good for hospitals, good for insurers. By documenting their improvements, really. That's what SaferMD does. It helps them document how, how well they're doing. That's right. And, and that documentation is accepted by major malpractice carriers to offer risk management credits. Let's circle back to what you had mentioned earlier. Well, you've mentioned it several times, but we haven't really talked directly about it, which is the patient angle and the idea that not only does the the communication need to go to clinicians, but then clinicians need to communicate with patients. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was just speaking with someone the other day who was a cancer patient whose doctor didn't call her for weeks to let her know the the result of a, a lab test. So she's sitting on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Finally, she picks up the phone, calls the doctor, and the doctor says something like very offhandedly like, oh, yeah, we got those re- results like a couple of weeks ago. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Is that common? It is not uncommon. Let's say it's not uncommon. I hear stories about this all the time because people know I'm interested in it. So there are systems that work very much like these critical test result management systems that are oriented toward patients. And they, patients are registered at the time that they visit their clinician. and answer the same preference questions. How do you want to be contacted? And they need to take precautions to make sure that only the patient can access the notification. And so they generate PIN codes, for example, and they get a notification when the result is available. There have been a lot of success stories. It started mainly in uh, obstetrical practices. It's good for peace of mind, especially when there are negative results, but it also is an is a redundancy to make sure that the important results don't get lost in the sauce. I saw something that HHS, I think in 2014, had made a ruling that granted patients direct access to their lab results. Mm-hmm. Is this what you're talking about? That's that's an important initiative, though. It's the Blue Button Initiative, which is which is being adopted. It's a way of of giving patients a desktop shortcut or a shortcut on a web page that can take them to their lab results or medical record, depending on what's made available. But again, as with electronic health records, that requires the patient to go to the health record to look up the result. The systems I'm talking about actively contact the patients, just the way the other systems actively contact the doctors. And if the patient doesn't pick up the first notification, the system may call them again, depending on the urgency with increasing frequency. And maybe the patient even designates a backup family member in case they're not available. It's a much more active process that also encourages or requires really uh, the patient to acknowledge receipt of the result. Interesting. So in this particular paradigm, the alert will go out electronically and asynchronously, as you had mentioned before, to the patient. It's not the model where 
lab tests come in, the patient's supposed to set up a, you know, a, an appointment in advance to, to come in and see the results. That's right. Both, you know, both systems coexist. Lots of practices have patient portals that make results available for patients to look at. Unfortunately, most patients don't look at the portals. <laughs> um, and part of the reason for that is a lot of portals are not very user-friendly. So this is delivering the results rather than making it available. I understand that a lot of physicians don't like the idea of lab results going directly to patients because if it is either a complicated result or let's just say not such good news, they would prefer to deliver it in a particular way as opposed to the patient getting this kind of confusing report and panicking and that causing its own trouble. Well, it's up to the clinician to decide how to use these systems. These are, these are not automatically generated notifications again. Again, someone is deciding to send this out to the patient. They always have the option to ask the patient to come in. But there's uh, people have been giving a lot of thought to that. For example, in, uh, down at Emory, the Department of Radiology has been experimenting with creating reports aimed directly at patients and using terms that are easier for the patients to understand. They're even considering uh, using voice synthesis to read the results to the patients so they just have to listen. That is a concern, uh, and there have been debates about it in the radiology community, and I'm sure the other diagnostic communities. Generally, uh, those practices who have adopted access to the patients have had positive results. Beth Israel in Boston, for example, their department of radiology decided to make the radiology reports available to the patients within 24 hours after they're performed. The idea there was to give the clinician a chance to speak to the patient first if they felt that they that the patient might not understand the result. And that worked out very well. But that is a legitimate concern. We don't want patients to be unnecessarily concerned about something that's not really a problem. There are lots of findings that are benign, for example. I can see how it's a conundrum, but it kind of also goes back to kind of the, the Pareto principle in some ways that if 80% of of test results are very easily and forthrightly communicatable. Mm -hmm. And clinicians are spending a lot of time communicating these things, which could easily be communicated via automatic. I don't want to say automatic because, as you say, a, a, a clinician is still deciding whether they go out or not, but let's just say a much more streamlined way mm -hmm. than given the, the preciousness of cl clinician time these days by them spending so much time doing something which could be done in a much more efficient way, then they've got actually less time to be studying the results more carefully or, or you know, really actively focusing on the 20% the that really need their attention. Well, I think that the, the fact that a person is initiating the message sequence tends to filter for the important results. They're sending the ones that are unexpected or urgent and not necessarily the routine ones. So it, in a way, it's more efficient. Oh, absolutely. That was the point I was attempting to make, whether I, I did or not, that you know, it's kind of productivity 101 to very efficiently be able to, in some ways, improve the, you know, the automation of delivery or the... Right, of important results. I mean, think of it this way. There's tons of data that that are generated every day from diagnostic testing. And only 
a few results that are usually important. And this is a way of picking out the important ones that deserve attention of the clinician and the patient. The clinician will still review the overall report on a routine basis, but you want to make sure that they respond to the important results. And one of the other ways that's done is something called a readback. Uh, sometimes for very important results, one asks uh, the clinician to read back the results to make sure they understand the implications. And the same can be done with patients. If someone is interested in learning more about this or more about SaferMD, where can they go for more information? We have a website, uh, safermd.com. We do have a Twitter account and tweet occasionally. And you could always get more information at info at safermd.com or write to me, brian.gale at safermd.com. Thank you so much for being on the program, Brian. Thank you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, relentlesshealthvalue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.